Navajo we have, and so uh, we're going to wait for a couple weeks, and uh, we're going to do those on the 20th, I think it is. Um, and obviously everybody, we want everybody here and, and I don't know exactly how they're doing the pay structure or whatever, but it's for missions. So, and who cares how much it costs? It's Navajo tacos. All right. Um, some, some things that have uh, been happening in the last couple of weeks. So obviously get a bunch of questions about with Russia invading Ukraine, um, the question comes up, okay, is this Ezekiel 38? Is this the Battle of Gog and Magog that's unfolding where, where uh, Russia works with Iran and, and uh, attacks Israel? And uh, I don't think it is. I, don't, I, I didn't think that from the beginning, but I do believe it's potentially setting up some of the, the uh, patterns or whatever that need to be happening. The thing that's actually been much more important in this is not Russia invading Ukraine. It is... Um, uh, about two weeks ago, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, I think at first service, but um, the, the, uh, Israel has started, they just signed an agreement uh, two weeks ago that they are selling their natural gas to Europe now. And that is uh, for like a 30-year trade deal. They're going to be selling this. This is, they're going to be supplying 40% of Europe with natural gas. This is the the same number that Russia is supplying Europe with right now. Uh, why does this matter? Because now Russia has just been traded uh, out of uh, trillions of dollars. And they're not just going to sit by and, and be okay with that. And so that actually has more end-time Battle of Gog and Magog ramifications than, than actual Israel invading Ukraine, although they could be working hand-in-hand. Hand. And then the fact that Putin has got cancer and he's, and he's real sick... Um, that who knows what's going to go on down with that? Either either he wants to make a last uh, ditch effort, or he dies and somebody worse takes over. So there's a, there's there's some issues going on there. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that in a few months. I'm gonna spend some time, a little bit of time on that, and just kind of walk us through 36, 7, 8, and 9 in Ezekiel, and um, kind of show us what the Battle of Gog and Magog is and things like that. Uh, Pastor Sam did mention this, but we do need help at the fireworks stands. The last, this is the last two days, and we need quite a big crew in each of the three tents. And uh, that's where the rest of our staff is today. That's where um, uh, the, the people that are working out there are. So please think about that. Uh, this is, this is it's, it's maybe a few hours of your day for, in the next couple of days that will save the life of some of our volunteers. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> One more thing. They, they, so some of you may know, may not know. I think probably everybody knows by now, but I'm running for a state representative, House District 15. And here's the deal with this is the, the primary is over now. And um, I squeaked through uh, in the primary because I was the only one in my category. I had eliminated the other opponents earlier in the assembly. And, um, but here's the thing is I, I was get, I've been getting messages. I've been getting phone calls, texts, all kinds of stuff from people. And, when, and um, a, f- a few weeks ago, I called up the potential, and now he is the Democrat opponent, and um, just sat down and had coffee with him. And it, that was really bizarre for him. Nobody does that. And uh, he, he, in fact, he brought people to take notes and record the conversation and stuff like that. And, and I was like, whatever. But, um, but uh, in the process of that, I've gotten to know him and... and uh, he even called me this last week and, and had heard some of these same rumors that I, after the primary, I am dropping out of the race. 
that has been all over Facebook. It's been, I don't know, all over places. People that do not connect with each other across the political spectrum of Colorado have asked me about this. And so, so here's my official stance. I am not dropping out of the race. I didn't do all this to drop out. Um, I will be in Denver in January when the, se when the uh, session starts. So, so um, don't worry about that. If you see it on Facebook, if you, see, if you hear somebody say that, just tell them I've talked with him personally and he is not dropping out, okay? Just say that. Don't worry about all this. And some of you have been um, asking me a little bit about um, people saying things and uh, doing stuff. Guys, this is what politics is. Um, it's not bothering me, so don't sweat it, okay? Whatever they say about me. Um, and here's the other side. Don't assume it's true, okay? That's the other. That's, assume it's wrong. Whatever. If it's bad, it's wrong. Um, now, maybe if they say, well, he said something he shouldn't have said. He, that could be true, all right? But, but for the most part, assume that it's wrong, all right? And, uh, and you can either talk to me personally or don't worry about it because I'm not worried about these things. In fact, I actually think it's kind of funny. A lot of it's really funny. And so, so just to let you know that, I am not dropping out. I did want to introduce you to some people, some, um, some people we've known for years and years. Um, uh, I was about to say your maiden name, but Sherry and Miles Bell, uh, we, we met Sherry um, before our children were born. Lynn and I were youth pastors in West Texas, and Sherry's older sister was in our youth group, and she was a kid and uh, about the age of her son, and uh, we've known them, I mean, the, the, their family, their parents were like our, our closest friends. I mean, we've, I don't know if we've ever had friends as close as the Millers, but they were like, for you teenagers, they were the, the Alexanders, okay? So that's who they were. Um, but this, they just always, I mean, they, I married them, um, which made them both uncomfortable because I was already married, but, um, but they dropped by and they're here to see us this morning. Very exciting for us. Uh, Sherry is also a, um, marathoner. She does Ironman triathlons and, uh, does a lot of them, does quite a few of them. She's, you're on number seven, seven. These are not triathlons, these are Ironmans, which are the big ones. And um, it's just cool to watch all of that and to watch them over the years. And it dawned on me, you're, you're over 40 now. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's weird because I was her older sister's youth pastor. So, All right, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. This is, so I'm going to do a little series here for the next few weeks. And, uh, and, and some of this, actually, uh, July 4th kind of, like, was the springboard as I'm processing this? And you guys know I think about this stuff all the time. So it's not like I think about this only on July 4th. And the message doesn't have anything to do with this, but it was kind of the, the catalyst for me in, in processing some things. Uh, the idea of our country and, and what our country stands for, and it's, it's just really amazing to me that so many people hate America. Now, now here's the reality. Not people outside of America. Okay, If you... If you think that the rest of the world truly hates America, you're not traveling very much. People love Americans, and they love... Now, there are some things where they're, you know, they're told not to like Trump, right? And so I, I literally have met people in India they are like, oh, down with Trump. And I'm like, do you know who Trump is? No, but we hate him, you know, that kind of thing. So, but, but there is this, there's this thing going on in the United States where people hate America. And, the, and it's cool nowadays, and it's, it feels like the, the early 70s. 
you know, it's, it, it's cool to hate America and everything to be bad and all kinds of stuff and, uh, and how horrible we are and how racist we are and all this stuff. And all that stuff is just bunk, guys. It's not true. It's just, it's just political language that people use to pit each other against each other. If, if our country was so horrible, why are people coming into the country by the hundreds of thousands? If, if we're so racist, why are people of all skin colors rushing to get into America? So they can come be part of this horrible racist people? It's because we're the least racist pl- uh, people on the planet. The idea uh, that this is our, our birthday that's coming up, our country's birthday, we celebrate that, and people are trying to downplay that and poo-poo it and everything else. This is, this is sad. Um, because I really believe that, that America wasn't just started so that people could have freedom of religion. I believe that God ordained America to be here as a beacon of this religious freedom across the planet. And the entire planet has benefited from the prosperity and the Christianity of the United States. Every country in the world, it's when the tide rises, it takes all boats up. That's, that's what has happened across the world. And freedoms, think about freedoms, freedom for women, that, that but when America came into existence, didn't happen anywhere else. Do we want the freedom of women to take America out? Is that what we wanted it to look like? Think about this. So much, so much around the world has been because of America. And the biggest one, I believe, is which is why God started America, was um, for, for uh, the, the gospel to go around the planet. And that, is, that has been unequaled, not even close, not even close by other countries of what America has done there. And so, so while you're sitting around eating your, your brats or your um, chopped up mixed meats called hot dogs, uh, <laughs> think about that. Maybe talk about it. Maybe as you're sitting around, talk about some of the things that makes America amazing and exceptionalism that is America. And don't be, don't be ashamed of that just because CNN doesn't like America. Let's say something. Speak up. Be, be proud to be an American. Right? Maybe even break into song. I don't know. So with that, I was thinking about the miraculousness of America and what God has done and how God is in charge of countries and, and nations and kingdoms and all kinds of stuff for for um, millennium and, and what that means. And so in, in starting in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want you to process that. You think about that. How do you perceive that scripture? How do you analyze that? Do you see that as a true thing? Do you see that as a... As a and, and even if you say, well, yeah, I believe that's true, but what does that really mean? Does that mean the stuff that, that God did in the Old Testament he can do now? And not only can, but would. See, we can, we can say this, this is the difference between terms called normal and normative. Do we believe that it's normal? In other words, could it happen? Well, sure, because it already did. But normative means would it happen now? Those are two different m- mindsets. And we can say, yeah, God is, you know, God part of the seas. I don't have a problem with that. You know, the, the, the flood or the fire from heaven or all the different things. Just walk down through stuff. And, and, but but he, would he do that today? That's, that's really the question, and it's amazing how that's kind of a, a stopping point for us. That's where we balk a little bit. I don't know. I mean, why would God need to part the waters today? Well, I don't know. Why did he need to part them then? That's, did he do it then? Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? And so, so I want to tell you a little story. I, this, is a, um, this is a series that I do fairly regularly, but it dawned on me 
My son was picking on me the other day because I haven't done one of these in a while. And, uh, but this is a frog on the rock, okay? So this, this is how I have processed the supernatural and the miraculous over the years. And it's a good reminder story for me. And so therefore, I'm going to let it be for you too. But the, the story is this. There's a little frog that is hopping through the woods. And, uh, and as he's hopping along, a rock falls on top of the frog and, and traps the frog underneath the rock. And there's nothing that, that the frog can do. He can, he can struggle. He can push. He, it, it, there's nothing. He does not have the ability to get out from underneath this rock. He's trapped under this rock, and he's going to die under this rock. He, he tried everything in his own power. Nothing's working. And then you come along, and, and, um, and you see the, the rock and two frog lips sticking out from underneath the rock so he can talk. And he says, I need a little help. So you reach down and you take the rock off the frog. It didn't, it didn't tax you. It wasn't difficult for you. It was a split second uh, in your day. There's nothing, you didn't, you know, you weren't <clears throat> weaker because of it or anything else. But for the frog, this was an amazing supernatural thing. And I, and I really do believe that this is, how, this is how miracles work for us and for God. I don't think that miracles are, I don't think God sees miracles as difficult or even the term we use in Scripture is miracles. God doesn't see them like that. They're not supernatural or beyond the naturalness of God. They are God. They are within the realm of his naturalness. The reason they are supernatural for us is because they are outside the realm of natural for us. Uh, the, the, the supernaturalness is because we're limited to certain things. We're limited to the laws of, of um, nature, the laws of physics, all the things that God established. We're limited to those. We're, we're limited to a one-direction, linear time concept. God is outside of all of that. He made all of these things, and so he's not limited to any of these things. So for God to reach down and take the rock off our life is not supernatural for him. It does not drain the lights of heaven because he's exerting energy or something like that. It's who he is. It's just, boom, takes the rock off, no big deal. For us, it is beyond what we could accomplish, beyond what anybody else could accomplish. It is miraculous. It is beyond the natural. It is supernatural for us. And it is correct for us to call them miracles. It is correct for us to call them supernatural. But only from our perspective, not from God's perspective. From God, it's just, this is who he is. He's really big. And he goes beyond anything. There, there is actually a story in the Bible, and you can, you can actually check this out and look this up from a scientific point of view, because this has been proven by many astrologists over the years and a lot of different things. There's been entire books written about this and everything. But there's a particular story where they're having a war, and, um, and God stops, now this, this is where I'm going to say it, but God stops the sun from setting. He stops time. Now, at first we're like, wow, that's cool. Now, this has been proven because you can go back um, astrologically and you can look at times and dates and all kinds of stuff when it comes to where the stars are. And there is a gap, there's quite a few hours gap in, in some of this. And uh, study it, Google it. It's an interesting little journey to go on. But, but here's the thing that I don't think we process. One is, do you actually believe that happened? Now, take the, sci take the scientific side away from it. Um, do you believe that happened? That's, that's, your, that's your call. That's your process of thinking. That's, that is not dependent upon anybody else. 
And I, and I can stand up here all day long and preach it and teach it and say this happened and prove it in all different ways. But at the end of the day, it really matters whether you believe it or not. Are you really going to grab onto this and say, if, if the Bible says this, this is true? This is a struggle that the church is having right now. What parts of the Bible are true and what parts are not? And the church is trying to analyze this. And here's my question always, always that comes up. The moment you start saying one part of the Bible is true, then first, that's pretty arrogant. But the second thing is, is why stop there? Who decides what's true? Who decides what's not true? If you say, well, I believe this story is true, but this one is not true, what if somebody else says this story is not true? Right? It's either true or it's not. That's, to me, it's, it really is a lot more black and white than what we give it. It's either true or it's not. So, so think about the stopping of the sun, because obviously the sun didn't stop. The planets, our planet rotates around the sun, and we're spinning at almost 30,000 miles per something, and we're going around really fast, and then we go around the earth also. I mean the sun. We, don't, we are the earth. Go around the sun. So why does that matter? If God stopped what we would say as the sun going down, that means actually what he did was stop the planet from spinning and from rotating. Isn't there a bunch of problems with that in the laws of physics? Isn't there a bunch of problems naturally? Why did we not all just sling off the earth? Why, why wasn't there some buildings or something toppled? Or like an ocean slid into another place? Think about if we really believe the Bible is true, then, then these are supernatural way beyond our even understanding of the possibility of it actually happening. But for God, it's just moving the rock. It's not, it's not a major thing. It's not a, a huge endeavor for him. It's just moving the rock. This is one of the things we were having a conversation with some of the staff recently, and we were talking about some ministries and some things we're doing, and, and um, we were discussing whether we have the ability to do this, right, whether they have the capability. We've been talking a lot about that with the, our new building and the board and stuff like that. And, but at the end of the day, if you're really dependent upon yourself, you've missed something. You've missed the, the real big picture of the scripture. If God wants to use you to do something, then don't you think he knows all the details, including your abilities or lack of abilities? Don't you think he knows everything? It's not like you, you, you caught him off guard with something. We, we, we were joking about this. Some of my family, I was, I was arrested as a kid. I was 12. Um, and somebody said, well, aren't you worried about that with this political stuff? First, my question is, really? You really think that's, that's what people are going to hear? Me like, can't vote for that guy. But here's the next thing. Don't you think God knew that when he told me to do this? Don't you think he knew that when he told me to be a pastor? Now, I haven't found anybody, at least that out loud said, well, that was a sticking point for me. I would listen to your sermons, but you stole some cigarettes at 12-year-olds, and I can't deal with that, right? I wanted to make sure you didn't think I killed somebody or something like that, because <laughs> that might, might be a sticking point. But here's the thing. Don't you think God knows all this stuff? Look at this. Let's go to Luke chapter 8, and there's, there's this, this is the only place we see exactly like this in Scripture 
where God is doing something and then right in the middle of him doing something, he does something and then he continues doing something. All right? Follow me with this. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. On the other side of the lake, crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. He had been, he's gotten pretty popular by this point. He's doing a lot of miracles, a lot of stuff. He's getting a lot of media. And so he, he's getting to be well known. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue. That's, that's actually pretty important in the story. This is, this is the equivalent of Nicodemus. He is, he's part of the leadership. He is the leader of the local synagogue, which means he was not allowed to like Jesus. He wasn't allowed to go along with Jesus because uh, Jesus is this, this um, new upstart that's trying to start this religious movement and take people away from the normal Judaism in the synagogue. And so he, Jesus was the enemy to the, to the church, right? Which I, I still kind of believe today, um, according to Luke chapter 15, that Jesus still kind of is the enemy of the church today. He's not the enemy of the body of Christ or the true church, but he's definitely the enemy of the established church, just like he was then. There's so many things that I've been seeing across the board. I saw a big write-up on Facebook the other day about this lady that is a, she's a pastor in Texas, and she is a self-professed conservative and blah, 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 but she is uh, pro-choice, and she believes that God is, is actually behind the idea of abortion. I'm like, you, gotta, you better be careful, lady. God doesn't play around when you're killing his kids. He does not play around with this. And God is going to hold the church accountable when we play games like this. Um, this is, this, I, the, the, the real church has no problem with Jesus. But the, the, the fake church, the plastic church, the, the concert church, that, they have a problem with the reality and the truth of Scripture. It gets in the way. causes them problems. Sin. Sin causes them problems. Right? Jairus is one of the church leaders. Jesus was causing him problems. But he came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. It's amazing how the urgency of tragedy can really make you uh, let your guard down and, let, and, and humble you. And you, you, it's easy to stop. It's easy to see through the church games and to stop playing church when there truly is a tragedy in your existence. Specifically when you have no other options. When there's nothing else. Your child is dying um, the church games don't, don't make as much sense, don't sound as important. All the things that we do are not as important. Um, I had this conversation last night at dinner that um, it's amazing how easy you can see through all the religious stuff and all the, the, the doctrines and the, the, what we call theology and everything when you are pushed with your back against the wall. And then the only thing that matters is how close can you get to Jesus? That really becomes the thing. And this is where Jairus is at. Now, right in the middle of this, as Jairus is having this urgency, he is, he is desperate for Jesus to come and, and heal his daughter. She is in the process of dying. There's this big interruption. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. That's, that's some intentionality. That's some focus. Why? She had no more options. 
When you have no more options, this is cool how the story right in the middle of the other story is the exact story. They, she had no more options. She had tried everything. And it was, it was it, she was going to die from this. And she had no more options. And so she says, well, Jesus is my last hope. Now, my desire for the church, for us, is that Jesus is not our last hope. But let's own that a little bit. That's usually where we get to. Right? Especially in Western society when we have so many things that take our dependence, our, our immediate dependence off of Jesus. Right? We have hospitals, we have grocery stores, we have, we have all this media, we have all these things. We don't necessarily have a, a, an immediate need for Jesus oftentimes. We, we, when, when we're sick or something else, we can go to a doctor, we can take medicine, we can do whatever. I'm not saying those are bad. I'm just saying what it does is it puts a, a uh, separation, a layer of separation between us and the urgency or the immediacy of serving Jesus. In other words, if you have to pray over your crops so that they don't get held on so you can eat this fall, you have a little different approach to praying for your food than if you bought it at Walmart, Right? which there's not a lot of food you should be buying, especially fruits, vegetables, meats. You shouldn't be buying those at Walmart. They're, they're horrible. There's markets. There's places you can do that. Raise your own cows, that kind of thing. So, so there's this urgency that's happening. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. I've always found this. This is one of those things. Well, I, I guess they're all, but this is one of those places in Scripture I was, wish I was standing there. I could see this. I'd like to see how this went down, how the dynamics of all of this went down. Why? Because it, Jesus says, who touched me? Now, two things happened. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. The, everyone denies it while they're all pressing up against him. Right? So here's what I think is going on. I think when Jesus said, who touched me, they could tell he meant differently. Something in his voice, something in the moment, he is stopping. There's an urgency of going to Jairus' house. He stops and says, who touched me? It meant something different to everybody there. And all the people that are squeezing against him and bustling and everything else, they mean to say, it wasn't me. Not because they, they didn't physically touch him, but they could tell the question he was asking, that's not what they did. Now, I don't know exactly how this was being perceived in the minds of the people that were bustling up against him, but apparently they recognized the difference in what he was asking because everybody's squeezing up against him. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me because that's the key. If we could take that part of the sentence and make that our life mantra, man, how powerful that would be for us. Jesus said, somebody deliberately touched me. That regardless of what happens in a church service, you're going to deliberately reach out to touch Jesus. Regardless of what's going on with the worship, you're going to deliberately reach out and touch Jesus. Regardless of the amazing, powerful message I'm preaching, you're going to reach out and you're going to deliberately touch Jesus. You guys know what I'm talking about. You know the difference. You know the difference between, I, I've, I've done this so many times I can't even count, process, but, you know, I can put um, some worship music on driving down the road, and I can listen to that for a long time, enjoy the song, sing along with them, 
everything. But then something changes all of a sudden. And there becomes an, an intentionality and there becomes a deliberateness and there becomes a pursuit of the Lord. And all of a sudden, the dynamic for me changes and I am now in the presence of God. Not because God has changed, but all of a sudden I got it. I changed. I saw the difference. I became deliberate. I became intentional. And all of a sudden, this is a God moment. This is a God time. And I'm connecting with the Lord. The same thing with reading. I can read the Bible. I can read through it. And I, <clears throat> I love to read the Bible, but sometimes I catch myself reading the Bible for the, for the purpose of the coolness of the Bible. Now, some of you, you're like, the Bible's cool? You got to get there. It really is, okay? It is a cool book. Got a lot of cool stuff in it. But just reading through. I was reading a great story the other day where, where the, these people come against Moses. The ground opens up and swallows these 300 people in and then closes up. I'm, I, I'm going to preach that somehow. But I'm trying to make sure that I don't preach it from the point of view that I'm Moses and you're the people. Okay? <laughs> I want to make sure... I'm wanting my heart to be right about this. I want it to be my spirit right. But these are the things. And so sometimes I'm going down the journey. I'm going down the road. I'm going down the process. But then all of a sudden, God says, that's important. But how about me? Just, let's just you and I spend some time. <clears throat> that's the deliberateness. That's the intentionality of this. <clears throat> Someone deliberately touched me. For I felt healing power go out of me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched, them, touched him. <clears throat> this is a good little uh, story for us. When God does something, we should tell the crowd. We should tell the people of our life. We should tell our family. Keeping this kind of stuff secret doesn't quite make sense if you really think about it. We should be telling. So she, she's explaining this. <clears throat> to everybody. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, this is the going back to the, the other story that's happening at the same time. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Now, this one goes outside of our scope and Western thinking. It really does. There is a finality to death that we, do, we just don't, even in some of the most strong healing mentalities in Western society, we don't go outside this. But Jesus did. He did three different times. He went outside the laws of natural life and death. And he went outside the scope of the, the, what he designed God designed all this stuff. This is why he could stop the planet. He wasn't limited to a spinning planet. He made the spinning planet. He made the sun. I try to remind us of this regularly. He made the sun two days after he made light. Explain that in your laws of nature. I really think he put the sun up there as just something we go, oh, that's where it's coming from. It's, that's the light bulb, Right? But he created light, and then two days later, he creates the sun. He's a, he's a pretty powerful God, and he's pretty majestic. And he can do some very big, transcendent things. He's outside of all of this stuff. And so when, when um, they come to Jairus and say, your daughter's dead, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit that is in me is not going to be limited to that. That's, that's, 
That's small stuff, right? I, I was in Africa one time, and, <clears throat> and I'm a, I come up to this village, and uh, my, my um, uh, translator was introducing me to people. Uh, they were sitting on a bench like this outside this little church building. And I walk up, and, and they're introducing me to the people, and they go, this is so-and-so, and he was blind. You know, he does that, and you're like, you know, you, you have that tendency. I didn't do that because that would have been rude. But, but do, don't you want to? You're like, how many fingers am I holding? But, but he said he was blind. He's looking right at me. And he goes to the, to the next guy. And I don't know exactly what these were, but these are amazing. But this guy didn't have a leg, you know, and you're like, what? And you see there's two legs. Now you're wanting to, like, poke on it and stuff like that. But he goes down the line, right, all these supernatural things. And these guys are all just taking it in strides, no big deal. And it's not like this was made up. Everybody in the village would have known this isn't a big place, right? So he goes down the line, goes down the line, goes down the line. And then he gets to the last guy, and he says, this is so-and-so, and he was dead. And that one, before I was just like, oh, I'm shaking their hand and I'm, you know, blessing them and all this kind of stuff that I'm, what I'm supposed to do. And when he gets there, I'm like, okay, we're not moving on. I need to know more about this. What do you mean he was dead? How long? How do you know? Did you take his pulse? Anybody try to defibrillate him? Anything going on? We need to know this stuff. And so we sat there for probably 10 minutes and he explained the whole day. He was dead for like a day and a half. And he's talking to me. Guys, I don't, that goes outside my scope. That literally goes outside my scope. But it wasn't something they were making up. It was, it's just, it was just part of their understanding because they see Jesus differently than we see Jesus. They have a necessity. They have an urgency, a desperation, most of their existence as human beings in a way that in Western society we do not have. We don't have this desperation all the time. We don't have this stuff. And then you take the spiritual and the demonic and everything that's involved in that. When they say something like, he was dead, they're not playing around. They come to Jesus and say, don't bother, Jairus' daughter is dead. What is, Je what is Jesus' answer? He told them, um, when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. You know, Jairus has got to be thinking, I don't think he heard me. <laughs> right? The finality of death, well, we're going to heal her. I, we, we're kind of, kind of moved past healing. We're into the, the, the deathing now. So when they arrived at the home, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. Because this is a very important scripture for us on a regular basis throughout a lot of stuff of life. This is very important. When you're in the urgency of life, when you're in the, in the immediacy of what's going on in your existence, be careful who you surround yourself with because it matters. If you're, if you're, this is one of the things we tell our prayer partners when they're up here praying is if, if, if you go up to pray for somebody, and we're very adamant about this with our prayer partners, if you go up to pray with somebody and they say, well, I'm dealing with this you know, disease or incurable something, do not pray. God, help them just get through it. Help them um, not be hurting. In other words, don't, even though you may not say it this way, don't pray, God, help them die peacefully. That's, 
We're serving Jesus. We're serving the supernatural creator of the universe. We're serving the God above everything. You are wasting their time and your time by thinking that way and praying that way. Pray top shelf. God completely healed them 100% to the point where doctors are knocked over by the powerfulness of this. We don't pray a little bit, guys. We're praying to the almighty God of everything. He stopped the sun from setting. Why would we pray, God, help them just deal with it gracefully? Why? I don't, I don't want people praying for me like that. Don't, you're just discouraging. He said, okay, I want Peter, James, and John. And some of that is he wanted recorded properly. But also he wanted them to see their faith to grow. And they had seen him do a lot of stuff. Their faith was going to be part of this. Now here's the question that comes up sometimes. Is um, who, whose, faith, whose faith is responsible for the healing? Is it my, the receiver of the prayer? Am I the one, is my faith one that does this? Or is the person that is praying, is it their faith that is important? Or is it both our faith? Or will God do this with nobody's faith? Um, the answer to that is, yes, all of that stuff. And you can find every one of those in the New Testament. Where people had zero faith, did not think it was going to happen. And God did it, and then it surprised them all. And surprised them to the point where they questioned it. Remember when Peter got out of prison, he comes up to the door, knocks on the door. What were they in the house for? Praying for Peter to get out of prison. That's they were having a prayer meeting for Peter to get out of prison. He comes up and knocks on the door. The servant girl opens the door and then slams the door and then goes back to everybody else and says, there's a guy that looks like Peter out there, but I'm pretty sure it's his ghost. Because that's a level of faith she had, right? What are you there for? To pray for this to happen. When it happened, she couldn't even accept it. And then they didn't believe her. And Peter's just standing out there at the door like, I'll wait. Right? Sometimes it's a receiver's faith. Sometimes it's a person. Sometimes there's no faith. Guys, let's not try to limit that. I know that some of the faith movement really tries to, to you've got to quote this scripture, you've got to know all these details, and you've got to say it this way, and you've got to, guys, don't, that, that's not scriptural. What's scriptural? Deliberately reach out and touch Jesus. Just go after him. If you've prayed for something for 20 years, pray for 20 years and one day deliberately. Just keep going after him. Keep on seeking. Keep on asking. Keep on knocking. And he's going to be there. He is going to hear your prayers. He is going to answer. You just got to keep going. Some people, first time, boom, everything happens. Sometimes it takes a long time. And I don't have a lot of scriptural preference, uh, precedence for either one or the other. The immediacy, we have scriptural precedence, but the other we don't. Just pursue. Just pursue. Just go after. So he said, Peter, John, James, the little girl's father and mother, they were ready. They were, they were all in, right? He didn't need to talk them into this. They were all in. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing. But he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. I do not understand what that means. Because she was dead. What he's trying to tell them is, I'm bigger than this. Right? But the crowd laughed at him because they all knew she had died. That, that, 
That's a nice thing to do at a, at a funeral wake. Start laughing at the guy. And Jesus took her by the hand, said in a loud voice, my child, get up. At that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. I wonder what all those people that had been laughing 20 seconds before, did they apologize? Did, did they believe? Did they not believe? I don't know exactly what happened there, but because it doesn't tell us. But they, I think they owed something, right? Now, here's the reality of that. It doesn't matter. Jesus is just God. Just go there. Just stay in that lane. And Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but, when G- but then Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. The fact that we're reading this 2,000 years later means they didn't do a good job of that. <laughs> so here's the first thing. Number one, guys, there's always hope. No matter when you think you're to the end, no matter when you think you're done, you have no hope. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, no hope, tried all the doctors, spent all of her money, no hope. But Jesus is still Jesus. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you've got to own that. You've got to believe that. You've got to wrap that up in your spirit and make that part of your existence, that, that there is always hope. Jerry's daughter was very sick. That propelled him. Then she died. No hope. But there's always hope. You've just got to have that faith in God. The second thing is that God is truly bigger than anything. And we have to really keep that, have to keep that wrapped up inside of us. Bigger than, here's another way that I like to ask it, just to make you think differently. Same question, but on the opposite side. Name something right now that God cannot do in your life. Name something that's in your existence, in your world, in your life, that God cannot do. And if, and if we had the, well, I just wouldn't do this, but if we did, if, you, if I was going to have you stand up and say that out loud, this is what God can't do. Even the process of verbalizing that out loud, you will begin to see how small that is. You'll begin to see how limiting that even the words that are coming out of your mouth become. It'll be, it'll be self-revelatory. What can God not do in your world right now? In your financial, in your physical health, in your family? What can God not do right now? And then here's the third part of this, because this really is, we can answer the second question, what, what can, can, you know, can God do anything? Yes, but here's where it really becomes difficult for some, most people, is, well, then why can't he do it with you? If he can do it, because we say, yeah, God, you can do anything. I believe you can do anything. But then when it comes to us, we don't really believe he's going to do stuff with us. <clears throat> That's other people. This is one of the things about... I think there is a, a tenuous line when we're talking about like testimonies and what God has done. Uh, I think you have to be careful with this because, at least from my perspective over the years, many years growing up, was God does some pretty big things with other people. That was always my view. God does big stuff with them. But then however I categorize the people would limit God doing it with me. Whatever, whatever category or however, whatever parameter I put to it always seemed to limit God doing it with me because of their particular faith or their attitude or their life or the perfectness of their life and all, or whatever, all the different things. 
And I, and I thought, but I'm not that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't be that. And so for me, the idea that God would do something supernatural was very limiting personally. So, so the second question can, is, can God can do anything? What can he not do? Well, once you establish, well, yeah, God can do anything. But then the next question is, okay, but what about you? Or even, here's a big one. Does God even want to do something with you? That's a, that's a big one I've struggled with at different times in my life. Because, well, I don't deserve that. Or, or well, you know, God did this or he does this with those kind of people. And, and it's interesting. I always think to myself, um, well, God does that kind of stuff with, with pastors. And, so, and then I go, oh, wait, yeah, I'm still one of those. Like, I've been doing this for over 30 years. But do I get bonus points because I'm a pastor? I hope. I don't think you do. But, I, I mean, I hope. I've, I've talked to God about it. You know, a little, little retirement bonus plan or something like that. But, but here's the reality. There's no difference. Scripture says there's no difference between me and Elijah. It's exactly what Paul says. That I'm a guy just like Elijah. And so are you. Why don't you stand with me? So we're going to pray, but let me ask you this question. What would God need to do to convince you of his power? What would God need to do right now to convince you that he wants to do something in your life? What kind of miracle, what kind of setting, what kind of whatever? What would he need to do? And and as you begin to say, well, if he did this, then my next question would be, was, was that more difficult or less difficult than a lot of stuff we see through Scripture? Most of the stuff that, specifically Old Testament, that stuff is out. We would never even ask God for that stuff. We, we would assume that he's not. So what would he need to do right now to convince you? Right? Bow your heads with me. Lord, we ask you to open our spirit. We just need you. We need your amazingness. We need your healing. We need your power, your power to break down strongholds, your power to lift us up. How we need your power to teach us, to grow us, mature us. Lord, we need relational needs answered. We need financial needs answered. God, you can do anything. And Lord, I believe that your heart is to do these things in our life. God, we know that many things in Scripture are already established as your will. So, God, we ask you to open our eyes and to see that. And then just to believe, trust, and pray for you to do the supernatural things. God, I want to serve you every day because you're beyond my understanding, because you're bigger, because you're more powerful than I can imagine. So let me ask you, you got something you really need God to do. You really need God to do. We're going to have people pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Just say, I need God. I really need God to do this. Here's the definition. Can you do it? No? Then let God do it. So give me an opportunity. You won't step out, come down front. Just line up along the front. We're just going to have some people pray for you. Just say, I need, I need God to do this. 
And, and the cool thing is, is God knew before you got up today what you needed. Actually, according to Scripture, God knew before the foundations of the earth what you needed him to do today. So just trust him. Let him do it. I'm going to wait a little bit because it always takes us a few minutes to convince ourselves to do this. And here's my encouragement. Whatever the need is, whatever, whatever's going on, assume God's taking care of it as you pray. Don't, don't ask him with hope that maybe he will listen. Assume he is already taking care of it while you're praying. Guys, he's big. Let's let him be big. All right, anybody that would like to, and specifically our prayer partners, please come join us down here. We're just going to pray. We're going to trust and believe. And let me encourage you, just like, just like I tell our prayer partners, don't just, don't just come down and pray God help them a little. Pray God do the biggest, most amazing thing Surprise everybody with how big you are. This is what we're going to pray, right? This is how we're going to pray. Anybody else want to come down and join us? Yeah. All right, God, we give these needs to you. God, you are supernatural. You're beyond my natural. You're beyond my world, my understanding, my scope. You are outside of this time, this world, this universe. You're outside. And you created everything. You designed everything. So God, you're in charge of everything. And Lord, we know that it is so simple for you to reach into our universe, into our existence, into our life right now personally, and just remove that rock. It is so simple for you. God, help us to get in our spirit and our head that this isn't a different kind of faith. It's the same faith that we just know that you're there and that you're real. It's that faith. Help us to believe and trust you, that you're supernatural, and that you love every one of us here, and you've got a plan for every one of us, and that you are a miracle-working God for every single person in this room right now, not, not six months from now, but right now, Jesus. That there is an urgency in our spirit that we are deliberately reaching out to touch you. God, help, help us to, to get that and to reach out for you right now. Help us to have that urgency. You guys talk to him about this. Tell him, Lord, I need you. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, reach out. Grab on to what Jesus has said in his word, what he's told you, the truth of who he is. Reach out and grab on to Jesus. Jesus, we do that in faith right now. We don't have options. You're it. You're the everything. You're the all in all. So, Lord, we reach out to you. In Jesus' name. Bless us with your spirit, with your presence. Lord, people that need healing, heal their bodies. Right now, supernaturally, just heal their bodies. And people that need relational things. Lord, you know, you know the, the prayer, the two major things I've got going on in my spirit.
Lord, I plead your blood over, over these circumstances to break down strongholds that keeps people from seeing truth. Lord, do the miracle. Relationship miracles all, all across this place. God, do these things. Financial miracles. God, do these things. That you're the miracle worker. Nothing is too big for you. Nothing, nothing is too big for you. And Lord, you truly are our way maker. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name. I pray for our, our church at large. Lord, help us, to, help us to be people of faith, that this grows. Lord, we have been praying for you to do the big stuff and just, just reveal the amazingness of you. And we pray this, that our church will be a church of faith. miracles become commonplace in the name of Jesus for your glory Lord God for your glory Take care, everybody, at the fireworks stands. Give them opportunities to minister to people, witness to people while they're selling fireworks. And God, keep them rested strong through this. That um, that this that the that the stuff that we're doing will minister and also it provides so much future ministry. And God, for every one of us here, give us give us a moment, a you moment at a barbecue or a dinner with somebody or a hangout time. Give us a you moment, Lord God, where we declare you. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Take the opportunity, sometime through the next couple days, take the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. God will honor that in your life. And I don't think it's going to be that difficult. Talk about Jesus. God will honor that. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad that they're here. You probably don't have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon.
child.